HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes it feel mellow. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's July 3rd, 2012. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43, joined tonight by an impressive group. Jen Swartman from Blind Tiger, Brian Strumke from Stillwater Artisanal, and Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewery. How are you guys? Doing well. Feeling good. We're feeling the fourth. Well, this is an impressive group, and uh, we'll give a shout-out to our sponsor, GreatBrewers.com. Check them out. Learn more about beer, GreatBrewers.com. And we're supported by the people at the Good Beer Seal, an association of 40 New York City beer bars that serve, promote, and support good beer. And they're bringing to you uh, July Good Beer Month, uh, which you'll learn a lot more about on our show coming up. All right, so Brian Strunke and uh, Garrett Oliver, two very interesting people. Yes. Jen, what, what do you think makes them so interesting as brewers and as personalities? <laughs> I love all the personalities in this industry because they're so far-reaching. You can have such amazing, diverse conversations with all these guys about a lot of things that go far beyond beer. But um, it all comes back to beer that brings us together. And these two characters are two of the two of the greatest we have out here in the East, definitely. So, so Brian. Uh You've Brian, been on the Brian show we're characters. <laughs> I mean, are you going to argue? Come on, Garrett. no, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these guys—you don't mistake either one of them for anybody else in the industry or otherwise. And uh, they're both also making really great beers that have a lot of personality, and and uh, they have a lot to. So, Garrett, you, you really set a, a standard by it. you've been doing collaborations with other breweries and other countries. For many years, um, how did that get started? Because I know Brian's been doing similar things. Well, um, my my background in brewing comes out of you know the time when I you know lived in England in the eighties. Uh, then went to work in nineteen eighty nine for uh, a brewmaster from Yorkshire, um, 
you know, so it was kind of natural that we were involved internationally from, you know, from the beginning because it's kind of where we were coming from in the first place, learning what we were learning and then uh, getting out there traveling as a, as, as a brewer and beer writer. So it, uh, you know, it seemed like a natural thing to do. And really, the, most of the collaborations that we had grew out of friendships that I made first at the Great American Beer Festival um, and then later in other places. And it seemed like just a natural evolution of uh, of what we were doing, starting in 1997 with our first collaboration with Breakspear. Um, but then by by 2002, 2003, we'd done you know about a dozen. Uh, so it was very very early on. You know, I'm told that we were the first American brewery to do collaborations at all. I, I um, absolutely love that idea too of this this being the manifestation of some great friendships that are made because the the whole beer industry the community around it is all about this camaraderie at least from what i've seen and the part that i love most about it and so the idea of of you know making up a striking up a friendship obviously striking up some talk about the business and creative ideas and then actually making it manifest having it manifest into a product is fantastic well the best known of our of our collaborations is the one with uh hans peter drexler from schneider so good and we had been friends for 10 years before that and his family and my family actually go on vacation together in italy i saw him a few weeks ago we were in italy uh my brother teaches his kids how to play guitar i mean so it's really you know uh uh I like the collaborations where things are, are, are really tight and it's not just a business thing. So how do you, you – I know you're a natural host and I, I, many times I'm at Brooklyn Brewery and, and I'll see you with guests from other countries, whether they're Italian brewers or the malt guy from Germany. Um, what, where do you feel more comfortable? Do you feel more comfortable going to other breweries and, and, and what's that like for you? Oh, I'm happy either way. Uh, I think the thing that's most important is that whatever it is, that it's, uh, that it's real you know, and we're feeling it. Um, you know, I don't want something where it was like, you know, this would be a great marketing idea. You know, that doesn't really interest me very much. If there's not going to be uh, a two-way uh, a flow of the creative process, then, you know, you're doing it just to do it, you know, and to stick your names on it. Um, and that's why we're also doing things with wineries and with coffee roasters and with filmmakers and with other people who you know are coming from a creative background that, that we're excited about. Forgive me if I made it sound that it was businesslike because that's exactly not what I was thinking at all. Oh, no, no, I think, I, it's, I don't think, I think no, it really think is about people and so much of this product. You know, sure there is there is money behind it. There are people out there who are trying to make money, and that seems to be their objective, which I don't agree with either. And I just love when the the human beings, the human, all the creativity can come together, and it can be manifested in a way that the rest of us can feel it. Well, let's ask uh, Brian. You've started in a totally different model than most brewers. Um, you're pretty much working in other people's breweries, or you're collaborating all the time. Tell us a little bit about how you work and the mystique of and how uh, that came about. Brian Stromke. I guess I mean collaboration is the the essence of everything that Stillwater is kind of made up of. Um, I just started out as a self-taught backyard home brewer. And um, when I met Brian Ewing from 12% Imports, we just kind of, it was like, like Garrett said, it's like we, we kind of built a friendship and recognized one another's talents and figured out a way to combine them and to create something that would benefit the two of us. Um, so from there, it's like now when I'm using 
the host's brewery, whether it's a collaboration or whether it's a dictation of my own um, original recipe just for the Stillwater line, it's, um, <clears throat> it's always a collaboration. So how do you I, feel? You're going to different breweries. Do you feel like you're stodging in those breweries? Do you feel like you're actually going in on equal terms with the I actually the want brewers? Brian to mention how he got into this, too, and his nomadic background and how it kind of led from, I mean, you were a DJ. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I used to tour. So what, what came about is one day I, I was trying to figure out how to balance and integrate the, um, my new brewing obsession with my wanderlust and um, desire to travel and to experience new people and places. <clears throat> so that that's kind of how So I was instead of in tying the- <laughs> yourself to a brewery, which yeah. would put you in Baltimore, in your case, was your home, yep. then you had this nomadic instinct that made this kind of brewing sort of natural for you, too. Yeah, right? it, it, I'm, I'm used to kind of working on the run, and, and the way I, what I took from it is like looking at the brewery as a studio, because I was using studios all over the world to do remixes and, produ- and original production. So... Um, when that's just a bunch of, you know, gadgets and synthesizers, the brewery is stainless steel and and equipment as well. Bunch so, of gadgets. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and and the host brewer and and the assistant brewer's work is like producer engineer and kind of helped me. I'm more of a designer than I am like the hand like a a day to day brewer. Right, because they know the systems. So what are you thinking right? about when when you come in though? Tell us a little more. Like you, you know, this is kind of a, a new thing that, that what you're doing. Tell us that you pick a brewery that you work in a lot. Let's say in Belgium. Do you work in a brewery in Belgium? Yeah, multiple. Okay, pick one and, and talk us through just all your own. Talk us through what it's like when you met these guys, how you work with them, and just give how it you time. Design the beer. We and want how to it's hear executed. about what you have to say. It's. I mean, it, and that's kind of a it's a long winded, like, hard to answer question because every situation is different. Like when I brewed with. Uh, Urbane from Strois in, in Belgium at Decca. It's the brewery is a hundred years old. They don't even use caustic or sanitizer. They only use they clean the whole thing with boiling water, and it's and it's insane. <laughs> um, so there's that, and then there's you know like a you know I'll be doing a beer at Stone uh, in about a month, and <clears throat> that's probably one of the biggest batches I've ever approached. So it's completely different. Animal. Yes, so let's say, let's say it's just true because that's a cool place. Like I'm trying to get at your, what you're really about. You you strike up a relationship with these guys, and they invite you in, and just just tell it because there's a lot of homebrewers out there, people who would love to do what you're doing. Just tell us really like you know t- step by step. How does this happen? How uh, I mean the the only really way I can answer this is <clears throat> when I when I was homebrewing, I was make I was able to make really good beer on the worst equipment possible. So I pro- I approach like any professional brewery as a step above what I started with. So I'm used to working with the worst of the worst, and now I'm learning to work with you know some of the best equipment out there as well. And it's it's just more. But I think may I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that you are a nomadic brewer who is brewing. You know, brewing on all with your friends on different systems, but a lot of what you do is not really a collaboration, right? Do you you come up with with your recipe? You've obviously struck up a relationship with the establishment, with the people involved in it, to come in and be able to execute, you know, these beers on their systems. But a lot of them really are your brainchild and not you having to like collaborate on a recipe. And then sometimes you do collaborate, right? Yeah. And so, like. 
what is the collaboration process like? You go in there and you're, are you, do you, you obviously know what they do and what they do well. You know what you do. I mean, how do the minds come together? Exactly. It's just, it, it can start with anything. It's, it starts with an idea, a conversation. I mean, when I design beers, I, I don't, I don't make, as it's pretty obvious, I don't make anything to that really fits a definitive style. It's, it's kind of a conceptual, it's an artistic process for me. Um, hence why I moved from music into brewing. Um, <clears throat> so I'm basically, I don't know, the, I let things happen organically. Like yeah. when we, I'm, I meet somebody, people ask me, like, you know, how do you choose who you work, you collaborate with or work with? And it, it, I don't choose it, it just it happens. And that sounds like what Garrett was saying, too. I mean, he's not seeking out, I mean, obviously he seeks out some of these breweries enough, you know, to like drink their beer, but that doesn't mean he's going to strike up enough of a friendship that he's going to meet minds and make a beer right well i think you know for you know for us and then uh i'm sure it's the same for you know for brian uh you know you get approached by a lot of people wanting to do things and you can't do everything you know and uh you really have to come down you know in your own heart into like well what would be interesting what's fun and what's real who do you want to work with yeah and what and well what's real is the uh you know, is is the uh, uh, is connection. is really the the, the the connection, and increasingly, you know, uh, I look for that, uh, and that's the thing that really most interests me. Sometimes it's something where we get to do something amazing, like you know, last year we sent the entire brewing team over to Sweden, and we barreled the 175th anniversary of Carnegie Porter, and you know, putting our whole ah, brewing team on a good. plane and going over there, shipping over 150 <laughs> bourbon barrels. You know, and spending a full day with the Swedish Porter Drinkers Association, uh, uh, barreling these 150 barrels was just an amazing experience. It's an experience. <laughs> it was an amazing day, but at the same time, I'm sure that uh, the, the the fun thing also is 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 the challenge of going to somebody else's brewery and pulling off a vision. And when we did Hopfenweiser, for example, we had to invent entire new ways of doing everything because they had no facility. To actually to do handle things. the dry hopping, yeah, yeah. That, well, not only that, they'd never done dry hopping. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you dry hop, normally you're going to uh, uh, add hops to beer that's already been fermented. It's in a unitank or something of that sort, or you're going to move it from something into a, a tank. You have to bl- get all the oxygen out of there first, so you don't uh, oxidize the beer. I didn't know that. So, uh, uh, you know, I, well, that's then, and that's the thing that will most destroy your hop aroma. And so I said to Hans Peter, okay, well, our procedure is we're going to take the beer, and uh, uh, once it's finished with its fermentation, we're going to put the hops into this tank, uh, and we're going to fill the tank with CO2 to get rid of the oxygen, and then we're going to move the beer over. And he said, CO2? We don't have any CO2 at this brewery. Schneider is so traditional that they have open fermenters and a centrifuge and straight into the bottle. You know, wow. they, 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 they just say, like, basically they have half a brewery. So even from a point of view of 100, 100 or 150 years ago, they're, they're way back in the past in some ways beyond that. And for they, the volume they do and everything else, we yeah. think that they've turned into something else and they haven't. Yeah, there's no ability for storage at all. So we then have to use a completely different tank and came up with a technique to transfer the beer onto the hops before the fermentation was finished so that the finishing fermentation would force the oxygen out. Oh. And, 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 and every, every stage of 
the production of this beer had a challenge like that, and so it was not only Good fun, for the brewer's but, brain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, we're going to take a short break. And uh, it we'll be back great. in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. You know you make me want to shout. Look my hands, jump up. Look my heart, bump up. Throw my head back. Come on now. Don't forget to say you will. Yeah, don't forget to shout. Yeah, 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 yeah. Say you will. Throw your head back, baby. Come on, come on. Say you will. Throw your head back. Come on now. Say that you love me. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're at Roberta's in Bushwick, and we love the Heritage Radio Network. So we got a great studio here tonight, Jen Swartman, Blind Tiger, Olivia and Dave from Empire, Brian Strumpke from Stillwater, and Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewery. Dave uh, Kataleski is the president of the New York State Brewers Association. So in addition to, to owning Empire in Syracuse, he has a role in uh, working on uh, the future of small breweries in New York State. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jimmy. You know, you, you've, you've had a lot going on the past couple of months. You, you, you got some recognition from Senator Schumer. You guys did a campaign. Uh, I, was it I Love New York Beer? Well, we're, we're still working on that right now. We're working with the um, I Love New York folks to determine whether or not um, uh, we can use that in the campaign. And I think it's going to be a version uh, of it, somewhat of a version. But, you know, Chuck went down to uh, a package store down in Long Island and saw that there weren't very many New York State beers that were represented and called me and said, you know, what, what, what can we do to make New York State beers more prominent in New York State? Um, you know, oddly enough, according to the State Liquor Authority, there's 124 production breweries in New York State. Uh, I lost track at about 100. So uh, there's still 24 out there. Now, a lot of these are the new nano breweries that are brewing in very small batches. Uh, but suffice it to say, uh, you know, the opportunity for New York State beers uh, is great right now. You know, uh, when I started the New York State Brewers Association eight years ago, there were less than 40 breweries. And now, like I said, there's you know, four times that, or three times that. So, uh, you know, I think um, the potential for continued growth is there. And, you know, as long as New York State is focused on local and, 
and they certainly are. I think uh, uh, New York State beer is going to continue to thrive, and as as long as we continue making great award-winning beers that we are, uh, that you know the future is bright for New York State beers. Garrett, do you ever talk about these things, or is it more of the the area of your partner, Steve Hindy? Well, Steve has been a you know a leader in this area, you know, along with uh, you know Dave uh, uh, for a long time going back. So you know, I often joke that uh, you know I'm just a liquid. <laughs> you know, I I, I don't uh, you know uh, I you know, but I'm glad that we have a, a brewer who can refer to our senior senator as Chuck, uh, uh, <laughs> and you know that's that's a really important thing because you know you discover that. Uh, you know that the political end of things is going to affect you whether you like it or not um i don't personally have an appetite for you know for that world so it's good for us that um you know that we have uh that we have steve to to go and do that um but i think that people are increasingly looking uh, uh at local brewers as drivers of economy uh and drivers of culture you know and um, and it's a I, growing industry. I can't. I, I really can't think of anything. You know, if you were to take New York State as a whole, rather than just New York City, and look at well, you know, what makes New York New York uh, as a state? You know, I think that uh, brewing has as good a chance of uh, of doing that in the future. Uh, uh, you know, as anything else. You know, I don't think that there's a, and in fact, there's an upcoming exhibition at the New York Historical Society, oh, which going I think on everybody, right now. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, so you know on, ongoing, um, and uh, uh, really covering the um, you know not only New York City's uh, brewing heritage but New York State's brewing heritage, uh, which is glorious. And look at the return now of uh, of our hop industry, which is going to be a big story in the next few years. Great, Dave. Um, there was some controversy the last couple of months. We stayed out of it, but I think now we should talk about it. Um, what was going on with the excise tax or this extra tax on uh, kegs or something? Well, you know, it's uh, somehow we we uh, we initially initially started in 2003 New York State Brewers Association as a, uh, an organization that markets and uh, promotes. What we saw is that uh, New York State craft beer and New York State beer in general had a three percent market share. And the 40 breweries that were fighting uh, for the same, you know, 3% market share pie. Uh, you know, I thought that kind of uh, was, was small when you look at states like Oregon that has a 30% market share and, and Colorado with a 20% market share, Vermont with an 18%. And instead of fighting at the same size of the pie, we said, you know, let's get together and work together and uh, do some festivals and educate the New York drinking public as to what craft beer is and it will increase the size of the pie and the goal was to get to 10 percent in 2010 we didn't achieve our goal but we were darn close so uh, i guess i could say damn right so we were damn close congratulations thank you is yeah. that okay jen <laughs> oh it's fine you with me say you can say damn. i think that's great that it grew that much so uh Garrett, uh, you've never sworn on air have you uh not yet but uh you know should you know, we the, start the, 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 the it depends on where this conversation goes yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can yeah, swear but you exactly i bet you i can get him to swear you start talking about uh you know the the shouting lawsuit uh yeah so to get back to point and the the point is is that you know all of a sudden we realized that we we're uh, getting a, a greater market share and increasing the amount of breweries that we had in New York State. So what happens is we become a political watchdog. Um, and, then, and then we become uh, you know, knee-deep in politics when something like a Shelton lawsuit uh, uh, occurs, and that's where 
Um, it was deemed by the state of New York, uh, both the New York State Department of Tax and Finance and the uh, New York State Liquor Authority, that both the excise tax exemption that we've had for some 20 years and the brand label registration fee exemption, which we've had for, um, I think, 12 years, were deemed unconstitutional, and it was settled out of court uh, uh, based on this, this lawsuit, which, you know, when that happens, we have no opportunity for recourse. We can't uh, we, we, we can't uh, go back and say, you know, we, we'd like the, you know, we think this is wrong and we, we would like to, uh, to counter that. Why and was it settled out of court then? It was settled out of court because, it, it, frankly, it was unconstitutional. And, okay. uh, and it fell uh, against the Granholm Act, um, and which was an act that deter- was, uh, I don't want to bore you with uh, the wine side of things, but it was about wine. And, and it fell in the face of beer, and, and it was recognized, and it was, compl- it was settled. And immediately, uh, New York State breweries had to pay for uh, both excise tax and brand label registration fees. Now, on the excise tax piece... Um, you know, we, we, we recognized, in, you know, in the, in the case of like a Brooklyn brewery, uh, this would mean a half a million dollars in, uh, in state and city taxes. Guys like uh, Genesee, $866,000. Um, Empire Brewing Company, some 30000 But uh, there are others in New York State that are paying over $100,000. And that simply wasn't in the budget. And when you're talking about, you know, small businesses, I think that to put that in context for us, uh, at Brooklyn Brewery, you were looking at more than $9,000 per employee, $9,000 per employee of the brewery wow. of new taxes. No, yeah. that's crazy. You know, per year. Per year. Yeah, right. That's what crazy. we're saying, too. Right. I mean, so, this so is like every year. Let, let's, let's rewind this. and okay. I, It's time to talk about this. because I know how this started. Well, I'm glad I we're talking about it. It was 2006. And the Shelton Brothers had um, these like fun Christmas labels. It was Santa's butt. Exactly. There were images of Santa yep. with a butt. Yep. And I know that the New York State uh, <laughs> did not approve those labels. Correct. And I can understand, okay. That's where it all started. But <laughs> Picture of the I remember that they, they fought that. And they thought, well, this is ridiculous. We should have our labels approved. And that made sense. And eventually, I, I know as, as a retailer, I got those bottles and I sold them. And I thought they were cute and fun. And the beer was really good. So I didn't really think there was a deeper issue there. Now, I just find out, you know, it's six years later in 2012. Somehow, th- they turned their fight against labels into this this huge fight uh, against New York State. And I was like, how did that take, how did they keep that up for six years? Well, what they were fighting were the brand label registration fees. And they, it, it's, they what is it, I thought they were just trying to, which is to fight the label. fact that they could put Santa's butt on a label. Well, no, it wasn't that. It was more like, then it became more, uh, how much does it cost to register every single label? Because it's not just re- getting a, a brewery approved to like, you know, sell in the state. It I understand is every that part, but label. I want Dave to tell me because I'm saying it's a funny I'm story. Sorry. It's just like what it I mean, does it's, come it's, down to like it's, the money. It's a funny that. story because it started out you, you couldn't show Santa's though. butt on your label, and I'm like, okay, I can see they might want to fight to have artistic freedom, well, but to turn that into a, a whole fight against New York State, you know, was to tell the truth, the whole the whole excise tax part was recreational. <laughs> you know, it was. Uh, 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 I have that direct from the sh- source. You know, it was kind of done for you know for for fun. You know, and uh, that was not the the purpose of the lawsuit. Um, and that was put in there kind of as a you know as an amusing sidebar. You know, the problem is that when you're dealing with these forces, you know, there are all kinds of uh, unforeseen uh, 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 consequences. 
and you know you have to be cognizant of them. You know, I think that hopefully in the future the craft brewing community are going to look at everyone's situation. I mean, every state has something hopefully in place that helps uh, boost their local brewers. Um, if you look at Pennsylvania, for example, you could say, "Well, look at that; they have to buy beer by the case, uh, um, and you know they like it that way, um, and it's uh, difficult." But it would never occur to breweries from New York State to go to Pennsylvania and say something to them about you know how they're going to carry out their thing. You know, we go sell beer there, and we sell it under the laws and of Pennsylvania. And they should be supporting their Pennsylvania exactly. brewers above and, I, and beyond. I, I think they absolutely should be. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? It's a, When you are competing in Pennsylvania, the Philly kind of thing is like, are you from Philly? You know, well, if you're not from Philly, they give you that, that little look. And you know what? Okay. You know, it, it's, 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 it's tough, but I totally respect it. It's actually really cool how how Philly-centric Philly is and how Pennsylvania-centric It would be great if New York City was even more so. Yeah, but you know, like, then they are. And they're getting you know. there. And, and that's, we're getting and that's there, a nice of thing course. Yeah, well, we're also getting Dave's greater and greater on. product and, and that, from and our local all, brewers, it, it's which about, helps. It's about educating the public. I mean, we have the largest beer drinking market in the world. And this is a great, you know, a great opportunity for local brewers to to really expand on that. It's a it's a huge opportunity, and I think as we continue to grow, um, and w- so let's back up for a second because uh, I think the end result of the brand label registration fees uh, was fantastic. What what it occurred is that the state decided to uh, make them exempt for every small brewer. Uh, period, inside the state and outside the state. So the Shelton brothers are going to benefit by it. So good for Dan. He wins uh, in terms of brand label registration. Oh, that's okay. Cause this is, so this is what they finally... I'm sorry. The I end- heard that the Shelton's won, and then I heard that it was overturned. So this is now the final the, result. The, the, not, there was there was no there was no win out of this. Okay. The, the state the state settled. Talking. The state settled, gave the Shelton or Shelton brothers bag of money, and then what we in turn did was went and met with our legislators, and we and it was it was unbelievable. It was a team of uh, Steve Henney, myself, Robin Ottaway was somewhat involved. Uh, he was actually a lot involved. Um, uh, John Henderson from Genesee, uh, a bunch of lobbyists, a bunch of attorneys, and we all got together and we lobbied in Albany. And we met with, with 14 legislators. We had bipartisan support, and we came up with two pieces for this particular legislation. One was to basically get rid of the brand label registration altogether for production for labels produ- produce less than 1,500 barrels, and the other piece was a, a beer production tax credit for breweries in New York State. And it's kind of like a scale. But the the whole purpose behind this legislation was to make sure that it was uh, fiscally neutral, if you would, so that the state taxpayers wouldn't have to pay any money and the brewers would end up making out. Um, The formula was slightly convoluted. Uh, The state ended up being neutral. Some of the brewers uh, benefited. Some uh, didn't benefit as much. But the bottom line is everybody agreed to it. So and that's it, why you have guys like Brian making so beer kind of, at other breweries around the world. Oh, it's also why we need people why? like Dave, you know, out there do, you know, doing this because the uh, you know a lot of the brewers who are kind of just working every day don't on their time. on their beers don't have either the time or the expertise or the money, you know, uh, uh, you know, to carry out that work. And you know, frankly, our work, what we do is uh, is protected by guys like Dave 
and like Steve Hindy and and like others going going out there and getting this job. Dave, wait, 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 one sec, because it's just one thing. What beer did you bring tonight? Because you actually make beer too. Live, live, and let, <laughs> live and let rye. Yeah, we entered the market about two years ago with our beer. We uh, I started the Empire Brewing Company in '94, and uh, Olivia Sirios, our assistant brewer, sitting to my right, and this was named after her. Uh, it's a rye beer that we make. Uh, Let's in taste Syracuse. it one more time. Sure. So we're gonna we're gonna take this taste this beer. What is it again? It's Empire. What Dave? This is Empire uh, Rye IPA called Live and Let Rye. Rye IPA, and we're gonna take a short break here on Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be back in a few minutes. All right. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Did you know it's July Good Beer Month in New York City? For the fourth year, Mayor Bloomberg will declare July is Good Beer Month in New York City thanks to the efforts of the Good Beer Seal. Check out goodbeerseal.com, learn about special events. And coming up this weekend, cook out NYC on Governor's Island. Um, all right, so we're talking about uh, New York and beer laws. Dave Kowalski from Empire. Why don't you wrap it up for us? Okay, so the bottom line is uh, we fought for five major pieces of legislation this year, and each piece uh, made it through the Assembly and the Senate and are waiting the governor's signature. There's a farm brewer's bill that's going to allow for uh, beer to finally be recognized as an agricultural product in New York State. Uh, It's going to encourage hop growers. It's going to encourage uh, barley growers. Uh, It's going to create actual beer trails through small farm breweries throughout New York State. Uh, In in 76, when the wine wine, um, farm bill was passed, there were 40 wineries, and now there's over 350. We think the same thing is going to happen on the beer side, uh, and that's going to raise the level of... um, of, uh, of knowledge for craft beer for a lot of non-craft beer drinkers. So that's great. The other piece is uh, the brand label registration and the excise tax. Uh, the other piece is a franchise bill, which we've been fighting for for um, eight years, and that will allow small brewers out of onerous um, uh, uh, wholesale agreements. Uh, that is that are, all that small are brewers ending. or just New York? That's uh, all small, all yeah. small brewer, brewers. That's yes, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, and the 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 United States uh, uh, brewing industry is looking at this piece of uh, legislation. This is uh, uh, it's fair. It makes sense, and it should be signed into law. Dave, uh, you're from upstate, and I know that mm-hmm. you know being involved with you know state agriculture and all these other issues. Um, you know, there's a difference between upstate economy and New York City economy. And for upstate, these value-added agricultural businesses like hard cider, beer, small distilleries really can make a difference for, for upstate New York for growing in terms of the economies. Well, I mean, the number one business in New York State, believe it or not, is farming. 
And yep. uh, so we're, what we're looking for is staple, uh, staple products for farmers to, to grow. And then we're seeing it in hops right now. But I think the real key ingredient is, as all, all the brewers that are sitting here know, is, is barley. I mean, somehow we have to bring back the barley industry or create a barley industry in New York State. And that, uh, that has to do with malting and, and, uh, and growing the proper type of barley. So that's going to happen to us. And it's, it's you have a farm now, don't you? I do. Yes. Yeah. We grow all of our own ingredients for. Um, uh, we grow all of our own vegetables. We actually are, invest in sixty different farms in upstate New York. We own our own cattle and uh, lamb, and we grow our own vegetables, and we do all that for the the brew pub uh, in Syracuse. So one thing. So I know that rye is is suited to growing in the Northeast, but there's issues with rye. You, you can you, you can you Garrett can you make no, but it what 100%? about barley? Well, we're talking about rye because rye is a really good northeast ingredient that grows well here. Well, there are a number of things that grow well here. Wheat grows well here, and we, you know, last summer we used, uh, you know, we made a beer that had mostly New York State ingredients for the High Line, and that was, you know, uh, local raw wheat and, and honey. Rye grows well here, uh, 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 and barley can grow well here. Um, you know, barley, generally speaking, is going to end up being uh, being malted, and you can grow the barley, but it's the malting piece that's really tougher for the brewers. Uh, for using rye, you can use it in various ways. It does have difficulties in that it's very high in protein and glutens, etc., that are going to gum up your mash uh, uh, and make uh, you know and, and make that difficult. You know, but you get a lot of uh, nice flavors out of it. Distillers are interested. Uh, uh, brewers are interested. One thing you'll find is that any New York State grain or hops that are produced, there is there are no lack of uh, of customers for any of this stuff. In fact, there's not nearly enough uh, uh, for any of us to uh, uh, to use. And I think that one of the great opportunities here is, as Dave just said, uh, farming being the number one uh, 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 thing in in New York State. Well, you know, when people talk about craft beer. That's not generally what they talk about. Craft brewers speak uh, a language in most cases that is alien to most people. <laughs> um, you know, we we come out of a scientific background and we talk about IBUs and OGs and finishing gravities and all this stuff. Where the wine people have been very smart to never ever ever mention anything technical they don't talk about they, they, you know uh, they they know what their acidity level is and they know how much uh, uh uh tannin they have and they have these numbers in their head but they would never ever speak them in public because it puts people off and they know that what's it's, funny is that, something that we have is, we, we have we have not learned to talk about sunshine and rolling what's hillsides the way they is have how um you know wine is notoriously lofty in its perception among the public as opposed to beer being the people's drink, and yet the winemakers actually have been speaking to the people yeah. and the brewers. Yeah. And, well, well, and, wine's and, also the, the the wine is also corner of the market on the international style of the thirteen percent bottle of wine. Well, so there's 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 much less you know variety and locality in wine than there well, is. Beer. And, and, and you have spectacular you know? levels of manipulation for the vast majority of wines made, whereas. You know, most of what we're doing, anybody could recognize that of the 1800s. You know, the, 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 the basic thing here is here we have an opportunity to reconnect uh, beer to the land in the mind of the public. And things that have always been true, you know, will then simply be apparent to everybody else what we know, you know, that uh, beer is grown and uh, 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 essentially and does not come out of just a factory made by machines. 
We're building a new uh, brewery in upstate New York, about 22 acres, and we're in the process of creating, the fir- well, hopefully the first farm brewery in New York State. And in that process, it's going to be, uh, we have three acres or four acres dedicated to hops. There will be barley on site and some of the other ingredients that we put in our beer because we really have to, I think, educate the, the, the public that it's a little bit beyond uh, the yellow fizzy beer. You know, I think it's uh, it's much more than a craft, and they have to understand how beer is made, especially uh, throughout New York State. Now, wait a minute. I happen to have some yellow fizzy beer right <laughs> well, here. Tell us about this. So now, <laughs> I noticed that. Besides really good, politics, wait, Garrett, you also make beer, right? <laughs> so this is a, a, a excellent He's not even the beer. politician. Yeah, He's no, the liquid. I, yeah, I'm the liquid. <laughs> what, what is this? This is the Brooklyn Gold Standard. Tell yeah, us this, about this you know, beer. This is, a beer called it's gold. So good. this is a beer called Gold Standard, and uh, uh, it's based on Keller beers uh, out of Germany. I mean, when I first went to Germany, the thing that really amazed me uh, was the really fresh lager character of the Hellas beers uh, that you would get, especially the unfiltered ones that you could get out in beer gardens. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though certainly many American breweries produce a Pilsner or something like it, they don't taste anything like what you get over there. There is what I refer to as a fermentation room character. Uh, that comes through, you know, in the German versions. So here we borrowed a yeast from our good friends at the New Glarus Brewery in Wisconsin, uh, a German yeast that is special to them, and they, you know, Never and, heard and of them. they know, it's yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was very generous. Uh, and it was, it, was, it was very, very, de- very generous of Dan to uh, to, to lend us uh, this yeast. We use a hundred percent floor malts, uh, which are made in Germany, and then together with this yeast, want to make kind of an export expression. So six and a half percent. About fifty IBUs, so a very uh, a very hoppy, sharp, but distinctly lagery lager. You could never mistake this for an ale. It is uh, 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 it's 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 very malt driven at the same time as being hop driven. I think very refreshing. You know, interestingly enough, knowing that this is a new Glarus strain, you know, like their yeast, I would almost call this a collaboration. Uh, I, I'm not sure that Dan would distance. call it a collaboration, so I'm not going to go there. We won't go that but, far. Sorry, uh, Dan. But no, just no, to but think I'd like be happy to collaborate with Dan anytime. A long-distance collaboration, since he doesn't leave Wisconsin much, I guess. No, no, it's, 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 it's true. But, I, you know, he's one of the best brewers in the country. And, uh, you know, I mean, um, you know, obviously we have a highly cooperative uh, uh, industry here. And I think one of the things that makes us, you know, all-powerful is that, frankly, you know, when you're in trouble or you need something – some guy who may very well be your closest competitor uh, is the guy who's most likely to be there to help you out. And uh, I, I don't think there are many other industries in the United States where that would be considered true. And I think he'd approve of this beer. Uh, I really I'm, do. I'm, I'm told that he, you know, he told, he he told me that, he, yes, I sent him a keg and he told me he loves it. Okay. Garrett, I don't think he'd lie either. And one more oh, thing. No, so. he wouldn't. <laughs> When when Dave Kowalski talks to Chuck Schumer or, or Steve Hindy is talking to the world, what's the future of New York beer? Is export the future? Because I heard I've heard that the exports are craft beer. We've got to take over New York export. first. Come on, but are, are you guys? I'm, I'm with Jen. I think first, yeah. first things first. We have to increase our market share in New York State. I think exporting is is a great thing. It's the future of uh, small brewers in New York State. Certainly, uh, Brooklyn knows that firsthand. Their their experience experiencing great growth all over the world. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of other small breweries in New York State have that prospect. You know, you go you go to China and people are wearing I Love New York t-shirts all over the place, and I think we have to capitalize on that. Uh, you know, I think Korea is also a really good market for uh, for the future of New York State beer. What do you think? Uh, you know, our export, you know, has grown directly out of travels that we had. 
And you know what I've seen. You How know, many over, countries right what now? What I've seen. We're in seventeen countries. Um, and what I've seen overseas is. You know, an attempt to brand American beer under one raft, which I don't think necessarily does anybody any good. Um, you know, the great thing is that wherever you go in the world, doesn't matter where, you go from Japan to Brazil, the the story of beer in the world is American craft brewing. Period. Um, no, I'm not saying that uh, we are the greatest brewing nation or that other people don't make wonderful beers, but everybody's making beers in the new American style. Um, so it's a, 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 I think export is a possibility, but you have to actually be on the ground to do it. Let's bring it back. Brian Strumke, one of the new hot, you know, hip brewers. Uh, I, I, I was going to call you the DJ brewer. It's like Brian's the DJ brewer because he was a DJ. It's been a while. And it's a different model, but it shows you what you can do. But, okay, I want you to – I'm giving you this chance one more time because, you know, you're awesome. But you're going to go to Stone, Stone Brewery and you're going to make a beer. Just tell us, give us a little insight as to how that happened. You got like two minutes, so um, come on. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a menage a trois, <laughs> I guess. Of uh, myself, they, all of the ones that Stone does talking, are like yeah, three yeah, breweries. It's my, myself and yeah. um, good friend Yepa, evil evil twin, and Stone. Um, <clears throat> we were just hashing out the recipe today, and it's it, it kind of comes came about like wanted to emphasize the strong points of the three different breweries or. Brewers, I guess, because two of us don't have breweries. Um, so it's a it's a black smoked wheat saison. Um, it's fairly hoppy. Uh, it's going to be a cool mix of like a Chinook, East Kent Golding, and Cluster. <clears throat> um, I I got this fascination recently after making Premium, which is like my reconstruction of PBR. It's a four and a half percent beer. It's twenty percent corn, twenty percent rice. Where did you do that one? Uh, a place called Westbrook down in South Carolina, and um, it's just a. Uh, <clears throat> I wanted to show people that everybody kind of thinks that when we talk about the fizzy yellow beer, it's that it, that it's like, oh, beer sucks because it has you know craft or macro brew sucks because it has corn and rice. So I wanted to debunk that. So I just said if you use some different elements and a different approach, I think you can make a really tasty beverage. So it's it, I fermented it with a Saison yeast and uh, two different strains of Britannomyces that a friend of mine cultured. Um, and then hopped it with like very old school American hops, like nugget, uh, no, it's Cluster Northern Brewer and some Saws. Uh, which is not really American, but sweet man, <laughs> Brian. I love you, man. And I love your beer so much. Let's. Okay, you've done something new in Baltimore. Tell us about your brew pub, or is it a brew uh, pub or a, a restaurant, or what is it? It's a. It's a yet again another collaboration. It was a local chef in Baltimore has a really innovative restaurant called Jack's Bistro. Uh, we di- we collaborated on a couple beer dinners. Um, it was my local restaurant go to, and then one day. He's like, hey, I want to do another place. I'd like it to be beer focused. You know, you interested? So I thought that was a really good way because um, he's got a really interesting approach to food, and he's a very international dude. He travels a lot. So <laughs> to sum it up, it's like the the slogan for the restaurant: it's duck tongues, pig ears, and fancy beers. Because <laughs> have- you're picking. The- so what's on your beer list right now? Right now, and uh, it's, it's called Stillwater Bar. Uh, yeah, what's it we, called? Yeah, oh, it's called Of Love and Regret. It's not called Stillwater. Nah, it's named after one of my beers. Dude. Nah, it's, I, I, I'm not a, I'm it's not a not very... it's not just him. It's a collaboration. I, 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 I'm, not a, I'm not a very 
I don't. I'm not a very direct marketer. I it's, was going to go to Baltimore and ask. He's for an indirect marketer, pub. and it is still named after one of his beers. <laughs> and if you're a fan of Stillwater, you know of love and regret. Yeah, it's kind of. I like people that dig in a little bit. I don't want to just throw it in their face. So it's like I want them to come in just because it looks like a cool place, and then they'll figure out that it's it's my place. So what are some of the beers that you have on draft tonight? Um, I, at least ten of them are, are mine. We have twenty twenty beers on draft, so about ten are mine. Collaborations from around the world and and my staples that I that I brew I brew a lot of, in Maryland at a brewery called Dog Dog Brewery and um <clears throat> and we do two wines on draft and I do a cold brew iced coffee I, I love cold brew iced coffee I said if I ever open a bar I want it on draft so I took all my old homebrew. And you equipment. like that the most, don't you? I love it. Yeah. It's like I took all my. Do you old, mix old coffee and with beer? What? Who's on the other taps? Uh, the other taps actually right now we got like. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, Professor Fritz Bream, yeah. the, the Grodinski, mm-hmm. the s- smoked like wheat. Sour um, smoke. So we always have like a smoked beer, like either Shankarla, I think right now that that's doing the place. Um, we uh, keep one IPA on, because I don't make any IPAs. So uh, last last week it was Firestone Walker, the Union Jack. I, I just told the distributors, I said, when it comes to IPA, I just want the freshest, like the best of the freshest. Because that's the issue yeah. with IPAs. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think we have Braumeister pills, and um, yeah, it's just kind of, basically I, I pick my little dream. So you like, kind of fill in the gaps around the styles that you're doing, because you, you know, obviously a lot of most of what you do is like saison yeast, if not all of it. Yeah. And so yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of still water, and then you fill in the gaps with all the cool other stuff. Exactly. Stuff. Yeah, but, keep but everyone but, happy. But I want to keep. But, Good but with we food. keep it really esoteric, and like I, I, I basically. I don't know. I built a place. It's designed to look kind of like my house, and it's and it's set up to be like my. It's, a it's like around I'm a, the I'm corner. A, from Brian, what's the name again? A bit of Brian. A megalomaniac. Brian, what's the name of your pub again? <laughs> of love and regret. Okay, I thought it was called Stillwater Pub. No, no dude, come on, you let me. It's down. a better name than right. Stillwater. So, in Syracuse, New York, where should we go, Dave? Empire Brewing Company. <laughs> <laughs> and Gary, you know what? You don't even know all the events happening at Brooklyn Brewery, do you? Oh no! It's uh, it, it's really no longer possible to know. You know, on AI. July sixteenth, there's an event called Backyard Hops, and there's a chief from uh, Peaksco with John Siegel and uh, Bronx Brewery and some other guys all talking about. And Ben from Beercraft, they're going to talk about how you can grow your own hops and small farmers can start growing hops. Yeah, well, I, I, I keep hearing that uh, you're doing this thing with NPR. Like, I, I, you know, I, I hear it. It's like, but, uh, but I wasn't invited, so how could I know? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. but, but, but uh, no. It's uh, uh, what's great is I, I think that we, what's great is that we have so many events going on that it's not possible for for anybody to uh, to keep up with everything going or on or to get bored. Yeah, exactly. You know, our uh, our quality control director, you know, Mary Wiles. You know, she uh, this year she planted six thousand hop plants. Uh, uh, in wow. upstate New York, and you know we're looking at uh, you know what kind of fun we can have with uh, with the stuff that she comes up with. You know, I think that uh, you know the uh, you know New York New York State next needs uh, you know needs a really good uh, uh, malting facility that could actually make a decent amount of uh, of malt. We'd be really interested in seeing uh, you know good, solidly well-made New York State malts available. And, 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 is, and I'm working with two malt shops right now to get a grant 
uh, the deadline is July 16th to get the CFA grant, and we're working with some Malters to hopefully do just that, because that's the key. Yeah, you to get malt in New yeah. York. I'm I'm excited to know Barley that malt is. can actually grow successfully here. And yeah, but the but the nuance is all in the malt. I mean that that makes it a lot easier than hops, honestly. No, it's going to be well, it's the way to go. And you're right. You need to spend the money, have the malt facilities. Well, you know, it, it's kind of odd because a, a, a feed farmer once told me, or whether or not it's accurate, I'm not sure. But I was I was I was lobbying with the Farm Bureau, and they said uh, something like 30 mer- million bushels of malt. Is sorry of barley is grown each year in New York State, and none of it is for brewing purposes. So what we need them to do is grow two row, and then we need to malt it, and we'll be good to go. I mean, what one thing people don't realize about the uh, the produce that goes into beer is that it is spectacularly technical, um, and especially for the farmer, you know, who might grow say peaches. You know, you grow a decent peach, you take it off the tree, you put it in a box, you send it the you know to the producer. Hops need to be dried, you know, properly. If they're being pelletized, they got to be pelletized properly. I mean, there are so many There's ways to ruin it. And the yeah. same, and the same with the malt. It has to be grown to a certain percentage of uh, of protein, et cetera, et cetera, and then has to go through this whole process. So, the, for the farmer. It's a, there's a, a tough a tough climb to get but to there, the is point where there is a reward because it's a specialty market and it can be rewarded. Yes. If you're a treat. Brian, what do you have to you're, say? This is I, it. I, this I is the end of the show. I, I had a thought that would kind of tie together this mm-hmm. somewhat disjointed Go for it. episode. I think is that that just that that talk about um dealing with all these people and we talked about collaborations and that's why like brewing is like an ultimate collaboration because we have to you know, we're working with the hop farmers, working at the malt. The, you know, the the farmers growing the malt, the malter, the malt houses, um, the yeast labs, and everything. It, we're it, already it's, bi- it's such, built for like, collaboration. Is such like a collaborative effort. Uh, I have another word for that, and you know, it comes out of slow food, which is co-production. Yes. You know, and it, and it, and the idea of co-production is that when you are a chef or you are a brewer, you know that in fact the farmer. You know, is producing along with you, and that you're not producing alone, and that you have to talk to that person, understand their business, uh, and actually take an interest in their well-being. And uh, you know, that's something that increasingly we're looking at with all the relationships that we have out there, and really kind of uh, coming to know uh, uh, what who your farmer is and what he or she needs. And uh, uh, and be willing to give up something in order that they can have what they need to have, and it's very important. Brilliant. Now, uh, Dave, introduce uh, your brewer, uh, Olivia. Olivia is our assistant brewer now, moving to New York City to take over as our brand manager and selling Empire beer, beer throughout New York. So, Olivia, say hello. Hey, I've already moved, so I guess I'm uh, I'm officially a resident. <laughs> All right. So, what's going on in, in New York related to Empire beer? Um, we're we're growing a lot. We just released a new summer style. It's our white afro. So it's uh. It's gaining a lot of headway. We're kind of seeing it fly off the shelves. <laughs> oh, explain good. this name to me. <laughs> white Afro, White Afro. <laughs> well, White Afro is short for uh, White Aphrodisiac. Um, it's a Belgian-style white beer. It's made with lavender and ginger, and it's got some uh, lemon peel. Oh, and local they won't approve Aphrodisiac. I remember that. I don't know. So it's From White Afro. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. It's you know, funny. I love right. the labeling Afro. thing, the butt. Guys, I love this show. We're just getting rolling, but you know what? And we're we're going to give a sign-off first to the Good Brazil Bar events. Uh, we'll, we will announce the winner of our beer pairing beer recipe contest next week on our July 10th show. The winner will, will receive a hard-to-find copy of Lucy Saunders' book, The Best of American Beer and Food. You can send your favorite beer and food pairing recipe to beersessionsradio at gmail.com. 
Barrier Brewing, welcome back, party. Barrier Brewing, one of our favorite breweries in the New York area, has been closed for two months, expanding from one barrel to five barrel system. Amazing, but we love their beers. Go to the, the Double Windsor on uh, July 11th and Summer Sour Sampler at Browery Lane, July 13th. If you're in Brooklyn, check it out. Otherwise, go to goodbrewsteel.com learn more about the whole July Good Beer Month package. In closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks again to the Good Beer Seal. And thanks to Garrett, Dave, Brian, Jen, and Olivia for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee and Brie O'Connor and guest coordinator, Brett Thompson, who's in Seattle and still does it. And thanks to Joe, our new engineer. So we'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Right. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our programs archived on our website or by searching iTunes for Heritage Radio Network. You can find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website. Thanks for listening.